All right, hard to follow that. Glory to God, though. Hey, hey. Uh, if you're still wearing your watch at uh, Gladys's encouragement, go ahead and I've taken mine off. You can go ahead and take yours off now, put it in your purse or under the pew or somewhere safe so that you won't be burdened by it for the next few minutes. Challenged. Uh, So this is week two in a series that we began last week called The Way of Jesus, during which we're not only talking about who Jesus was and the things that Jesus taught or what he did, but rather we're considering also, or maybe primarily, what it means to live as Jesus lived, what it means uh, to walk as Jesus walked, to become more and more like Jesus. We are not Jesus, we cannot be Jesus, we will never be Jesus. We are not God, but he calls us to become increasingly like him, and he empowers us for such. As you know, from the beginning, Jesus invited people to follow him, and while that invitation included going where he went, uh, literally walking where he walked, being a part of his travels, it also meant and means becoming like him. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. He called people to be his students. They were not only learning from him information. They were not only getting an education from him, but they were also, in addition to that, and more importantly, learning to understand the world as Jesus understood the world, learning to see the world in the ways in which Jesus saw the world. They were learning to live like Jesus. They were, their persons were becoming increasingly like the person of Jesus. That was his intention. He invited them to be students, disciples, learners, apprentices. And that is what they were. And to such, Jesus invites us as well. I'm going to put up on the screen this uh, line from Dallas Willard. It's helpful for me, putting things into perspective. It is now generally acknowledged that a person can be a professing Christian and a good church member in good standing without being a disciple or an apprentice. I'm going to read that again. It is now generally acknowledged and accepted that a person can be a professing Christian and a church member in good standing without being a disciple or an apprentice. There's apparently no real connecting between a Christian and being a disciple of Jesus. In some ways, two very different things, or they can be. And this is bound to be rather confusing to a person who would like to be a disciple. And I think over the course of my life, I have seen that as a confusing reality in the church. And that's what this series is about about not only being a Christian, but also learning to be a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus living in his way. And for that reason, as I said last week, I took and am taking, will continue to take the unusual step of asking you to listen to messages that you miss along the way, even going back to last week or the eight weeks of preparation before that. As I said last Sunday, uh, if you're taking a course, if you're a student in high school or college, and following a curriculum, if you miss a class or miss a week, the teacher doesn't say, ah, that's okay, it doesn't matter, we're just gonna move forward. But it does matter. And so I'd encourage you, again, not that I'm a great preacher, but to go back and listen and to not skip uh, because we all know that some Sundays we're here and some Sundays we're not here. 
So uh, listen online. Podcast, we hope, is coming this week for those who would like that tool. If you only listen to CDs and don't have uh, a means of listening online, call the church office. They'll help you out with that, and we're trying to get manuscripts as well. All right, let's pray. As Jim uh, prayed, Lord, help us to hear, help us to be attentive. We have many things on our mind. We have busy schedules, demands, places to be, things to do. Help us to be attentive now, though, to your word, to your will, and to your way, to you. To the fountain of love, to the wellspring of grace, to our source of truth. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are good and fertile soil. I do pray and ask that as my words are true to your word and spirit, uh, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way deviate from your word, may they be passed over, not even heard. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So if you were here last week, we began uh, this series exploring the way of Jesus with a passage of scripture in which Jesus is asked uh, in what was for Jesus his only friendly or non-confrontational interaction in the gospel of Mark with a teacher of the law, with a uh, Jewish religious establishment. And that teacher's question to Jesus was, what's the most important of all the commandments in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures? We're going back to that passage this morning, starting at Mark, the gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 28. Listen closely. This is the word of God. One of the teachers of the Jewish law came and heard Jesus and some members of a religious party called the Sadducees debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, this teacher asked Jesus, of all the commandments, all 600 plus, which is the most important? And this was not an unusual question for rabbis at that time. The most important one Jesus answered is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the teacher of the law replied to Jesus, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him to love him with all of your heart, with all understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And this is big because the teacher of the law, that's his sweet spot. All of the sacrifices, all of the temple stuff, all of the offerings, very important to his tradition it was what he upheld, what he was all about. And he doesn't say those things and the things that we do together are not important, but he acknowledges that what Jesus has said is more important than all of those things. Verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, you are getting close, you are getting near, it is just around the corner, you're getting it, it's getting you you know the right answers. The kingdom of God is close for you. But the kingdom of God is not entered or experienced through knowledge or information, but through grace and through obedience and through seeking to live in the way of Jesus. The kingdom is near and the kingdom is present when we are walking in the steps obediently of the king. 
Last week we talked about the first part of Jesus' response to the man's questions, how Jesus lifted two verses from a passage of scripture back in Deuteronomy called the Shema, as Jim mentioned, which pious Jews then and now uh, say, recite on their own or with others if they live with others every morning when they get up, every evening when they go to bed. I hope that using those little cards we passed out last week that you were able to put that into practice some over the past week. Uh, speaking, saying, reading, reciting those words in the morning and in the evening. And so beginning to live in a new and different way in the way of Jesus, a tradition that he certainly practiced himself as well. Let's speak those words together just for fun in case you haven't yet this morning. They're up on the screen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of houses and on your gates. In other words, be consumed by them. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul. Jesus adds with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And then Jesus continued linking together two commands when he was asked for only one because for Jesus, to Jesus, the two were inseparable. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The latter which comes from the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, the whole verse of which reads like this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And there are several things that are absolutely worth noting about this before we go on. First, the commands to love, first to love God and to love and then to love neighbor are bracketed in and attached to affirmations that God is and of who God is. In the Leviticus verse, we are reminded uh, that the command to love your neighbor as yourself is authoritative, that it has merit, that it is good because I am the Lord. Because God is, because God is God. And because, as we read in the New Testament explicitly, because God is love. This is who God is, and so how God is. The Shema begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, affirming the self-existing, pre-existing, autonomous sovereignty of God. Go into God's very character and nature. God is And God was before us, and God exists fully apart from us. And God, and because God is real, and because God is true, and because God is good, and God is love, these other things also are true and right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Thus, I am the Lord, those words, grounds one's love for one's neighbor in the love of God. For Jesus, they cannot be separated. He's asked for one commandment. He cannot not give two. Everything that is, everything that is good comes from God, is dependent on God, and gets his strength and authority from God. Thus, as James Edwards has written, whoever does not find the source of love in God will fail to exhibit God's unique love to one's neighbor. 
love of God is prior to love of neighbor and establishes its possibility. And I like this part the most. Love for God releases the love of God. Our love for God, who has first loved us, releases the love of God in us toward others. Again, God is love. God has loved us. As the disciple John wrote, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. Second, the Greek word translated love in the Gospel of Mark in this passage refers not to romantic love or the love that one may have for chocolate or dark chocolate or white chocolate in particular, as we said last week, but instead we have to rethink in biblical terms the meaning of this word love. It means to give oneself to its other. When its object is God, it means to love. It means to devote oneself to the other, to relinquish control of one's life, to give honor to God, to submit oneself to God. When its object is another human being, love, according to one reference book, one Greek lexicon, refers to moral goodwill, which proceeds from esteem, principle, or duty, rather, which does not, but rather, from, rather than attraction or charm. It is moral goodwill which proceeds from esteem, principle, and duty, rather than attraction or charm, which is exactly the opposite of the ways in which we love today. In other words, this love does not seek that which is already declared and recognized as beautiful or valuable, but rather it declares that something or someone is beautiful and valuable and has value because it is made by God and in God's image. One of the things that C.S. Lewis said and one of his ways of describing this love is helpful for me. He wrote, love is unselfishly choosing for another's highest good. It doesn't have anything to do with how beautiful or lovely or lovable or attractive or worthwhile in the world's eyes someone or something is. But apart from all of those things, it is a principle and it is a duty that says, this is because God created it. This person is worthy of love. Third, notice the negative command in the Leviticus passage. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Refrain from revenge. Do not hold a grudge. Do not do this. Don't do this. But the part of the verse that Jesus quotes is not the do not, the negative, but rather the do. Do love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus' command calls for action. It is proactive. As I'm trying to teach my kids, as I'm trying to teach myself, Love is not a passive thing. It is not a dormant thing. The love that Jesus talks about is active. It is proactive. It initiates. It goes. Jesus is not highlighting the importance of neutrality toward one's neighbors. Jesus is calling his followers or his apprentices not to neutrality or ambivalence toward their neighbors, but rather to action. And there's a big difference. In our minds, love is just this feeling, this thought, this emotion, this disposition. For Jesus, it is more than that. 
I was speaking with a friend yesterday who is a uh, secular Jew. Uh, he was Jewish by birth and Jewish by genes, and that's about the extent of that for him. He is skeptical of religion. He is skeptical of any religion. Uh, he believes that all religions are basically the same. His motto, he said, again, is live and let live. He would say, he said, I don't care what you do as long as it doesn't affect me. But think about that. He's a nice guy. He's a good guy. He's a fun guy. He's a decent guy. He's a lovable guy. Absolutely. But what does such a worldview get a person? What does such a worldview get a person? What does such a worldview get one's neighbors? What does such a worldview get the world or the earth for which we pray, Thy kingdom come? My friend says that all religions, all ways are basically the same in contradistinction to what Jesus says. My friend indirectly says that life is about me and my family and my friends, but Jesus says, love your neighbors. And Jesus goes on. Actually, nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus define neighbor specifically, but everywhere he exemplifies it. My friend says... Indirectly, it's all about me and my family and my friends. Jesus says, love your neighbors, your next-door neighbors, whether they are your friends or not. Love your pagan neighbors. Love your Muslim neighbors. Love your neighbors from another country who don't speak good English, and love your overly American neighbors as well. Love your annoying neighbor, your unfriendly neighbor, your neighbor who had a Donald Trump sign in his yard. Your neighbor who had a Hillary Clinton sign in her yard. Your neighbor who still has plastic flamingos in their yard. <laughs> your messy neighbor, your loud neighbor, your irreverent neighbor. Actively love, bless, serve actively. All of your neighbors. Unselfishly seeking your neighbor's highest good. To such Jesus calls us. Because this was and is the way of Jesus to which he calls us. If you go through the Gospels and just do it in your mind. Jesus went around loving people. He loved rich people. He loved poor people. He often loved people that no one else was loving. The poor, those with diseases, the outcasts, the sinners, the prostitutes, the destitute the tax collectors, those with no integrity, those on the other side of the fence, those on the other side of the lake, those who lived in the wrong places, those who didn't have means, those whom the world had shunned, those who were on the bottom, the children, women, foreigners, Syrians, and on and on. Jesus adds value to them, seeing them as his father who created them, sees them. This is what Jesus did over and over in town after town after town. He hung out with people who had no merit, who had no position, who had no esteem in the world's eyes, who were not worthy according to their culture and their culture's standards and mores. They did not merit love. I've struggled with this as I think about it on a little bit deeper ecclesiastical and philosophical level. 
Because something that's sort of in my DNA says, as a pastor and as a good Christian, I need to call people to church and call people to uh, religion. Jesus never does that, though. He never says, let's stand up together and say the Apostles' Creed, which I get to say once a month, and I think it's a good thing. He never does any of those things that we often associate with good faith. But he goes out into the world and he walks in the dark places and he loves people. It's almost as if it was a religion of love. It's almost as if this kingdom that he was announcing was all about love. Which when we think about it, maybe shouldn't be surprising. G.K. Chesterton wrote, love means to love that which is unlovable, or it is no virtue at all. John Harrigan wrote, people need loving the most when they deserve it the least. I don't know about you, but uh, the people who deserve it the least are the people that I'm least, like to love, least likely to love. Sort of the way I operate by default. The people in my mind that seem least worthy of love are the people I end up, by default, loving the least. But exactly the opposite should be true and is true. People need loving the most when they deserve it the least. I've also observed, at least from my perspective, that some people are just sort of good at loving. It just sort of flows naturally. Uh, they're they're Myers-Briggs type, sort of makes them more inclined to love, or their personality, or what they inherited from their parents, or their upbringing, or some transformational by God's grace event. They just seem to be bent towards effusive love toward other people. And other people, not so much so, have the spiritual gift of curmudgeony. To that, C.S. Lewis writes, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets of the world and of life. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him or her. So do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Act as if you do. Jesus calls us to such. Carl Menninger was a Christian psychiatrist of the previous generation, highly renowned, but more than just a psychiatrist, he was a theologian, and he was a shepherd, and he was a thinker. He wrote, love cures people, both the ones who give it and the ones who receive it. I like that, but I don't just like it. I think it's true. We all need to be healed, rescued, saved. And part of that happens when and as we love. And finally from Mother Teresa. I found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, then there is no hurt, but only more love. And I think that's true as well. 
The way of Jesus is radically different. It is, not the, it is the way not of upward mobility, but of downward mobility. It is the going to the end of the line, staying behind the sets and choosing the last place. Why is the way of Jesus worth choosing? Because it is the way to the kingdom, the way Jesus took, and the way that brings everlasting life. And all of that is available to us. And by God's grace, he empowers each of us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's not a command to love ourselves. Jesus assumes, and all the theologians since him have assumed that we're pretty good at looking out for our own needs, of taking care of ourselves, of seeking our own highest good, as C.S. Lewis says. But love your neighbor as you love yourself. And his kingdom will come, and you will be healed, and I will be healed. And our world will be a different place, and your home will be a different place, and the church will be a different place. His kingdom will come. It is coming. It is near. Let's pray. Help us to love God, even those of us who are seemingly by default uh, not loving or not set or wired naturally that way. Transform us, heal us, make us whole, Shape us more and more to the image of Jesus. Empower us by your spirit, as your scriptures say, to be people who exhibit your love, demonstrate your love, bear your love, carry your love. Not only are witnesses to your love on the cross of Christ, but are ambassadors of your love in the dark corners among our unlovable neighbors among the people who do not return or acknowledge our love or our attempts at love. Help us delight in your people. Amen.